0: We're going to read again, and we're going to read the New Testament, uh, Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26. Starting from verse 21 in Matthew 5. You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you're good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent.
1: Now before we look into the Lord's word, let's pray, let's speak with him again. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you continue to welcome us to your throne room. Lord, we recognise that this is not because of anything that we have done, but it's all because of Jesus Christ. We look at our own lives and we see that we are disunified so often. We do not have unity with those around us with our even brothers and sisters in the faith. We do not have unity with yourself and we do not even have unity within ourselves. So often we are fluctuating back and forth with our own desires. Lord, we pray that you would help us today as we recognise the disunity in our lives in these different areas. We pray that you would help us to be able to resolve these, particularly when it comes to the disunity we experience with those around us, and with you. Lord, we pray that we would get great counsel from your word and have ears to listen today. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be able to come out of disunity back into that unified church that we should be a part of. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So what do you do when you realise you're in disunity with someone, when you've got conflict with someone around you? Do you shrug the conflict off and ignore it? That's a common approach by some people, particularly um, certain people you may know. They never actually address the problem that they have with someone. I have one person that stands out in my life that used to do this, uh, particularly when it came to girlfriends. Uh, My friend at university, uh, whenever he wanted to break up with the girl that he was currently dating, he just stopped replying to her messages, stopped picking up the phone when she called, just ignored her until she would get the hint that she was really no longer a part of his life. Uh, And that's what some people do. They just go in complete opposite direction from the person that they have conflict with. Maybe you try to patch up the relationship in some way. Maybe you bring gifts to that other person. You don't actually address the conflict, but you try and give hints that you're actually sorry about what you've done. And so you bring some sort of gift to the other person. And particularly in husband and wife relationships, that's what you do, isn't it? That you bring flowers to your wife. Um, I have never given flowers to my wife. Oh, I did once, actually. But, uh, and that is not saying that I, uh, I've never had conflict with my wife. But I, I think that the whole gift scenario, particularly flowers, Uh, Not the best of solutions. I mean, they just die. They seem like such a waste of money. Um, I I just don't get it. And uh, thankfully, my wife is allergic to most flowers, so I haven't been an excuse. But if I was going to give her a gift, I'd give her chocolate, so that at least I would get some benefit from the gift that I give her. Whereas the flowers on the table, that's not really going to do much for me. And uh, but we have this attitude that you know, when we want to resolve conflict with others, that we, we hint at our remorse about the situation, and we may give some sort of gift to try and indicate that. There's actually six common responses that people will make when it comes to conflict with others. Uh, one of my favourite counsellors writes these six down. He says, we can go on the defence, and so we can deny the problem. We can go down the track of the blame game, so we start to blame others or the circumstances for the conflict that we're experiencing or we can run away so we can flee from the situation or we can turn to the attack so instead of defending ourselves in the conflict we turn to attacking and so we can do that with put downs so um, speaking badly about the other person uh, to their face and this I find is part of Australian culture it appears that you know when you've got a problem with someone you just tell them oh if It it may not even be that they've done anything wrong. It may be that they've done something right and you just feel like it's your job to bring them down a peg or two. We put them down. Or we gossip about them to other people. We don't say nasty things to their face. We just say them to other people about that person. Or we may even turn into attacking them physically. Um, And that's a common occurrence around the world. It may not be something that you do, but we can see it in the lives of Australians and... Other people of this world. The wars that are going on, they're physical conflicts. And that is where people have had an issue with someone and they've turned to violence. So what are we to do in the situation of disunity? When we realise that we're in conflict with someone, what should we be doing? And that's what I'm going to be looking at this morning, and particularly the teachings of our Lord uh, Jesus. When he was here on earth, he gave us some teachings in Matthew's Gospel that I find very helpful in my own life, And I've been able to put to good use in the lives of those people that I counsel as a pastor. So what are you supposed to do when you have a problem with someone? Well, my first main point this morning is that you should consider the danger of disunity. You should consider the danger of the conflict. You can see my main points on the sheets as they've come around. The first is that we should consider the danger of disunity. If you're in denial about the danger of conflict, then you've got to stop being in denial about it. You've got to realise the ramifications of what you're doing. By being in conflict with someone, it is a dangerous situation to be in. Now, why would I say that? Well, we have to hear the words of our Lord and realise that we could be in danger of eternal destruction. Why would I say that? Well, look with me at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 21. Matthew 5, verse 21 where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus is saying quite clearly here that if you are angry with your brother, if you are telling your brother that he is a fool, then you are in danger of the fire of hell. Now what is Jesus saying here? Is he teaching some sort of works righteousness? If you go around having complete peace with others, then you will go to heaven. Whereas if you go around saying you fool to people and causing fights, then you will go to hell. Well, we understand that the gospel is that it's not our works that get us into heaven. It is faith in Jesus Christ. So what is he saying here? As he's teaching his disciples, what does he mean by this? Well, I think what he's getting at is if if you are going around in conflict with others, saying to people, you fool, and thinking it's not a problem, you're putting into question your relationship with the Lord. If you think it's okay to have disunity with the people around you, then you are not showing a true and lively faith in the Lord. You're starting to give markers of pagan (laughs) behaviour. And it may be that you don't really trust in Jesus. If you're not doing what he says, then could it be that you're actually at war with God as well? And that's why you're so content to be in conflict with those around you? You're putting yourself in danger of the fires of hell when you go around having conflict with others and so it's a serious situation you're facing you could be subjecting yourself to eternal destruction because you don't really know God and that is shown by the way that you're quite content to be at war with your neighbour what's another reason why we should consider the danger of disunity well the other one that we see in the scriptures is that we can destroy one another even now We're in danger of eternal destruction, which is very serious. The most serious situation to be in. But we can also be in danger of destroying each other even now in this world. What does Jesus say in verse 25? As he continues to talk about conflict here in the Sermon on the Mount, he says in verse 25, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is a temporal destruction that you're bringing on your life. If you continue down this path, it may start to get very serious. You may actually be handed over to a judge, and the judge may hand you over to the prison, and you won't be getting out anytime soon until the situation is resolved. When we have conflict with those around us, it can bring great pain on us even in this world not pleasant to be stuck in a prison and if we consider the prison conditions at that time it was even worse than what we have today I've been into some prisons as I've been visiting people and they're not pleasant situations those doors are very heavy uh, you aren't getting out anytime soon I'm always thankful when I come back out that they are opening the doors for me you don't get out unless they say you can get out and you should watch out. If you're in conflict with others, it can get pretty serious. There's another part of the Bible that speaks about the danger of conflict, and that's Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. Galatians 5, verse 14. Turn with me there now. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. Where Paul says the entire Lord law is summed up in a single command love your neighbor as yourself that's what we're supposed to do the entire law is summed up if you just love everyone you'll be fine you'll be keeping the law but verse 15 if you keep on biting and devouring each other watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other there's that word destruction again watch out if you're at conflict with those around you you can end up destroying each other what you're doing is biting one another and devouring each other when you're at conflict, in conflict with someone. When you don't have that unity that you're supposed to have, you're hurting each other and are devouring each other. We've been uh, babysitting some rabbits at our house. You call it bunny-sitting, not babysitting. Uh, someone that we know at church has gone away and uh, they have two rabbits and they left the rabbits at our house. And we let these rabbits out to hop around the backyard because it's all sealed in when we shut the gate. Uh, But then there's this problem that after you've let the rabbits out, uh, you want to get them back in to their hutch. And uh, one rabbit in particular was okay. Uh, You could catch him no problem. The other one, the big black one, uh, was another issue. It would run away, but you could corner it. And one time, the first few times I was trying to catch this rabbit, I put out my hand to get it by the scruff of the neck. And I swear, this rabbit, it lunged at me. It didn't run away, it came for me. And I had, I, I reckon it was teeth marks. Um, my wife is a bit skeptical that rabbits don't bite, but she says it's probably claw marks. I had three scratches down my hand from this rabbit. And I have to admit, I've never eaten rabbit. <laughs> but at this moment in time, I was starting to reevaluate my taste for rabbit. I was thinking, you've gone for me, now I'm gonna go for you. That's what Paul's talking about. When we have conflict with one another, we want to eat the other person. Not necessarily literally, like I wanted to eat this rabbit, but we can end up in that situation where we start to devour one another. We're biting. It's it's painful what we're doing to one another. And we can act, and this is where if it escalates enough, people die. Because of something that just started small. Some sort of family conflict. And just got worse and worse and worse. And people start to get devoured. Whole nations can be devoured. As a result of conflict continuing to escalate. So that's what we need to remember. When we have conflict with those around us. When we're not at unity with those around us. It's dangerous. And we need to consider that. So, you consider the dangers of disunity you realize you're in conflict with someone what do you do in that situation well that brings me to my second main point go to your brother or sister quickly to resolve the disunity to resolve the conflict go to them quickly and we see this taught to us in Matthew chapter 5 as well Matthew chapter 5 Jesus tells us to go quickly to the person and resolve the conflict turn with me back to Matthew chapter 5 And we see in verse 23 that Jesus says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. While you're at worship, you suddenly realize you're in conflict with someone. What does Jesus say? Leave worship, abandon the altar. You've got a gift there to offer to the Lord. You're at worship with the Lord. And he says, no, don't keep going. Go and be reconciled with your brother. Can you see the immediacy of the the need to go and reconcile with somebody else? Don't even stop to worship. Don't go to Sunday worship thinking, I can go and worship God and still be in conflict with my brother or sister. There's no place. For people at church who are all pious on Sunday but in conflict with their brothers and sisters throughout the week. Jesus says, leave the gift. Go and be reconciled. And go quickly. In verse 25, he says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Like, get a wriggle on. If you realise that you've got a problem with someone and it's unresolved, Don't stop to worship. And as you're on the way to the courtroom, start working on things. Go quickly to them. Run to that person and resolve the issue. So we see that we are to consider the danger of disunity and then because of that danger, we are meant to go quickly to that person. What are you supposed to do when you get to that person? Well, that brings me to my third main point. Point out your wrong in the disunity. The first thing you need to do is point out your wrong in the disunity. When you meet the person, you may be tempted to go on the attack and attack them with put-downs, with blame game, uh, start playing that game with them, to fight with them, even physically. But Jesus counsels us, when we've got a problem with someone, when we can see an issue in somebody else's life, firstly, we should resolve our own sin in the matter. And generally speaking, it always takes two to have a fight. And Jesus teaches this to us in another part of the Sermon on the Mount later on in uh, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Turn with me to Matthew 7 verse 1. You know your brother has a problem with you or you have a problem with your brother. What does Jesus tell you to do? Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you tells you don't judge why because then you may be judged with the same measure so that should put a bit of caution on us to go around telling other people what they've done wrong because they can then tell us and what does he then say in verse 3 why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye you hypocrite First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus clearly wants us to remove specks from our brother's eyes. He doesn't say don't take specks out of people's eyes. He wants us to resolve problems that are going on in other people's lives and particularly if they've got it with us. But we need to clean our side first before we start addressing the issue in the other person's life. We need to clean up our own mess before we start taking those specks out of the other person's eyes. And sometimes it may even be just you've got a speck in your eye and they've got a plank in their eye, but that still applies. You still get rid of that speck. We need to clean both sides up, kind of like when we clean our house windows. That's the job that falls to me. And I look out the window and I see that it's dirty and I consider oh, the dirt is all the raindrops that have come and the dirt that's got mixed up with the rain. And so if I clean the window, all I need to do is clean the outside of the window. And I did that the first few times, and it's still a bit dirty. It's because the inside is dirty too. I think I'm a very clean person. The other people in the house are very clean people. We haven't dirtied the window in any way. But then you start to see nose smudges that are on there and little fingernail marks. Not uh, not fingernails, but little fingerprints that are there. We've dirtied up the inside as well, and we need to clean both sides. And when I clean the window, I've learned that I meant to clean the windows from the inside first because the cloth then uh, doesn't get as dirty on the outside, and then you bring the dirt in if you're cleaning. But the same principle applies, I think, that we need to clean up inside first as well as cleaning the outside. And this happens when I've seen people have conflict with one another. This really works, this advice of Jesus. i put it into practice in my own life and i put it into practice in other people's lives as well. I've had a whole family have all kinds of issues with one another. And I've sat them down. I said, we're going to work things out. And they come to the meeting and I think they're coming with the idea of I'm going to tell that person that they need to say sorry. And I'm going to tell that person that they need to say sorry. And I say, okay, the first thing I want to do is I want someone to ask for forgiveness for something they've done. And we're going to sit here in silence until someone admits that they've done something wrong and ask someone else for forgiveness. And it can take a few minutes, but when someone does that, the first person says, "Yep, yeah, look, I'm really sorry about this that I did. And then somebody else will say, yeah, I, I admit too, I've, I've done that wrong and I need forgiveness from you as well. And it just... When you say sorry first, it then softens the conflict, and the other person is willing to start to admit they're wrong as well. When you remove that speck from your eye first, it allows them to start to see that they've got a plank in their eye that needs to be removed. Whereas if you walk straight into the situation and tell them they've got a plank in their eye, they're going to go on the defense, generally speaking. But if you remove the speck from your eye first, and you do it in front of them, you say, I am sorry for what I've done, then that leads to reconciliation. We even, uh, I've seen this in my life, in the counselling that I've done with others, but we, I, I've even noticed our, um, the teacher that uh, my son has, my year one teacher, she came up to um, my wife and talked to her about something that is going on with uh, Joshua's learning, and she said, look, what's happening is What I'm doing is not working. We need to look at another solution. Rather than saying that it's the parent's fault or that it's the the child's fault. She's saying, look, what I am doing, my particular method for teaching this thing, is not working. We need to come up with another solution. And so she's recognized that if she admits that what she is doing isn't working, then it can be resolved so much more easily. She's admitting some fault there. Now, I think she's a great teacher, uh, but she's recognised that this is the best situa- this is The best way to address a problem is to not blame the parent, not blame the child, blame herself, and then we can move forward. And that's what we need to do as well. When you have a problem with someone, consider the danger of it, go quickly to the person, and when you get there, don't point the finger at them, point the finger at you first. And then things start to resolve. And you're following the teachings of our Lord there in Matthew 7. So you may have done this. You've considered the problem. You've gone quickly to the person. You've admitted your fault. What do you do next? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. Point out the other person's wrong in the disunity. Point out the other person's wrong in the conflict. And we have teaching from the Lord as to how we go about this. And that is given to us in Matthew chapter 18. We'll move away from the Sermon on the Mount now to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Matthew 18, verse 15, where we read, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. If you have a problem with someone, go to them, go quickly, take the speck out of your eye, And then point out the plank in their eye just between the two of you. Don't go to them while there's a whole audience of other people around. Just go privately to the person. And hopefully then you have won that person over. And we can go on to the fifth main point this morning about forgiveness. But we're not quite there yet. What happens if the person doesn't listen to you? What does Jesus teach you to do in that situation? Well, he goes on. Verse 16, but if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If the person you are seeking to resolve the conflict with does not listen to you, you've pointed out to them they're wrong, and hopefully you've done it with scriptural uh, examples to them as to uh, why you're considering what they're doing as sin. I mean the Bible in the end is our authority and you might think that something is sinful when it's actually not. The person has done something to you that you consider to be wrong but your conscience can, is affected by sin as well. And so what you think is wrong may not actually be wrong. So that's why you've got to use the scriptures but if you go to them and they still don't have a problem with what you're saying they think oh no it's not an issue at all we don't need to resolve anything here. What do you do? Well you go up a level. You take the disunity before others. One or two others. You bring it to another level. It's kind of like when you've got a problem with someone on the phone. You ring one of these big companies and you say you know, what your issue is. And the person says, look, we can't do anything to help you. What do you do then? You say, oh, thank you, and hang up the phone. No, you say, if you're me, can I please speak to your manager? And sometimes that doesn't go down very well with the person that you're speaking to. And they say, look, my manager's not going to be able to help you, uh, not going to be able to do anything more than I can do. And I say, "Uh, let me talk to them and see if that's true. I don't take their word for it that the manager's not going to be able to help. Otherwise, that person would be the manager. I consider the manager has more power. That's why they are the manager. So I want to go up a level. What's the next level? If you've got conflict with someone, get one or two other people along. Get their input onto the situation. And if they agree with you that it's wrong, they will come and they will talk to the person and hopefully then the person will be won over. But what happens if they don't listen even then? Well, there's a third level that Jesus says you can take it to. Verse 17 of Matthew chapter 18 says, If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church... Treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. What's being spoken of here in Matthew chapter 18? It's what we know as formal church discipline, where if a person is in unrepentant sin, they will not resolve the conflict with you, and they're a brother and sister in Christ in your church. You take it to some other people. Usually you get your leaders, one or two of your leaders to come along. And if they won't listen, then you take it to the church level. And you've got the testimony of two or three witnesses about that person, their desire to continue sinning against you, not resolve the conflict. And so then the church makes a judgment about that person. The church then says, look, we're going to start treating you as a pagan or a tax collector. You're no longer a member of our church because you are going against the word of god you are not resolving this conflict you are happy in the disunity that you're experiencing with a brother or sister and so we have to treat you as a pagan or a tax collector as a result hopefully this situation rarely happens but sometimes it does have to happen that the church then makes a judgment on that person and they're saying in effect if you continue in this way you're demonstrating that you're not a christian And you're in danger of that destruction that Jesus warns about. You're in danger of the fires of hell because you're content to be in conflict with your brother or sister. Now hopefully when the person hears that, they then admit they're wrong and they want to be reconciled with you and they ask for forgiveness. Hopefully at one of these steps at least, the person turns and says, no, we need to sort this out I did something wrong and I need your forgiveness. What do you do in that situation then? you brought up their sin after you've brought up your own sin. What do you do? Well, that brings me to my fifth main point, which may seem obvious, but what is obvious is not always that obvious to people. Common sense is not necessarily that common. Fifth main point is forgive the other person. Forgive the other person. If you have a brother or sister who asks for forgiveness... They recognise that they're in disunity with you and they want to be unified with you once again and they ask for that forgiveness. You need to forgive them. There are strict warnings in the Scriptures, in Matthew's Gospel included, against people who will not forgive those around them. And one of the classic texts has to be the Lord's Prayer. Turn with me there. Go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and I'll read from verse 9. I'll read the whole of the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, where Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one if you won't forgive your brother or sister you cannot pray the lord's prayer you might be able to pray it hypocritically but you can't pray it seriously and mean it you can't pray verse 12 forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors because it's not true you can't ask god to forgive you your debts because you haven't forgiven your debtors and it's amazing that The one line in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus expounds on happens to be that line. What does he say in verse 14 and 15? We know the Lord's Prayer so well, but do you know what comes immediately after the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6? Verse 14 says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What's Jesus saying here? Is he teaching works righteousness? That if we forgive those around us, then he will forgive us. No, we understand that the scriptures teach us that we're saved by faith. What is he teaching here? He's saying that if you are someone who cannot forgive your brother and sister for what they've done to you, then you're demonstrating that you don't know what it is to be forgiven by God. You do not have the marks of a true Christian. A true Christian knows how much God has forgiven them. And so there's no problem for them to forgive others. This is brought out so clearly in the parable that Jesus tells about the um, unmerciful servant. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. I love this parable because it just so clearly demonstrates the human heart. We do not like to forgive others. Matthew chapter 18 Verse 21, when Peter comes to Jesus and he asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents. And that's an extraordinary amount of money. Okay, that's huge. 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his feet before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii, which is not much at all. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and the man, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. God has been so merciful to us. Do you realize how much conflict you have had with the Lord and how much mercy he has heaped upon you and forgiven you and forgiven you and forgiven you up to this point today and then later today he's going to continue to forgive you if you cast yourself upon him and as you continue to cast yourself upon him in the future he will continue to forgive you. And then you're going to not give forgiveness to someone who has sinned against you in some small way. It's always going to be small, no matter how big it is. It may seem, how big it may seem. It's small in comparison to what you've done to God. You've attacked the God who is king of the universe. No one in this room is king of anything, pretty much, unless you say you're the king of your home. I don't know that we've got any royalty here. You have attacked the king of the universe and he has forgiven you. No one here has attacked any kings that are here today. But we often act like we are king and we cannot give them forgiveness. If someone has sinned against you and you go to them and you point out their fault and they ask you for forgiveness, forgive them be reconciled with that person because you are putting yourself in danger. You are acting as a pagan and you may be a pagan if you cannot forgive others because it shows that you don't really understand what it is to be forgiven by your Lord for all the sin that you have done toward him. So you've done this. Hopefully you've forgiven the person. You've gone to them. You've pointed out your sin. You've pointed out their sin. They've asked for forgiveness. You've forgiven them. Is that it? You're all happy again. We have unity. Is there anything left to do? There is. My sixth main point, embrace the Lord's forgiveness for the disunity. It's great to be reconciled with your brother, but you need to be reconciled with God as well for the conflict that has taken place. What did we read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 24? Matthew 5, where Jesus says that we're offering our gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you he says leave your gift there in front of the altar first go and be reconciled to your brother and then he has something else to say what does he say then come and offer your gift come back to god be reconciled with god because we have to remember that as much as we may have had a problem with another person and we have always got some part to play in the conflict that we have generally speaking we may have that person's forgiveness we may have forgiven that person but there is sin that has happened towards god in that conflict A passage that teaches this so well for me is psalm 51 verse 4 where david is praying to god and what does he say against you you only have i sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. He says, you and you only have I sinned. That sounds outrageous. Do you know what the context of Psalm 51 is? David has slept with another man's wife, gotten her pregnant, Bathsheba, and then has ordered the murder of Bathsheba's husband and he didn't even have the guts to do it himself he used deception to make it happen in battle he got other people involved the leader of his army it is terrible sin he sinned against so many people he sinned against Uriah he sinned against Bathsheba he sinned against Joab he sinned against so many people in that situation and they're awful sins that he's committed these are serious sins all sin is sinful but there are some sins that are more serious than others and what does he say in his psalm as he's praying to God? You Against you, you only have I sinned. We've got to remember that when we sin against our brothers and sisters, when we have conflict with those around us, God is involved in that situation. We have sinned against God when we sin against our brother as well. When we have a his horizontal disunity, we also have a vertical disunity going on. And we need to be reconciled with God. I even see this happen in my own house. We have, our, we have children in our house and so we have some rules in our house. And that means not hurting brothers and sisters. And when that happens, we take the child to one side and we say, look, you've done the wrong thing. You need to say sorry to the other person. And when I speak to them, I say, you need to say sorry to me. Because this is my house and you've broken my rules. You need to say sorry to dad as well. As well as saying sorry to your brother or sister. And that's what we need to do with the Lord. We go and be reconciled with our brother, but we also have sinned against God. And we need to be reconciled with him. And thankfully, he does come and be reconciled with us. How does that happen? Well, it's through Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing what Jesus did? He came, he took the first step. He came, he knew that we were at conflict with him and what did he do? He left heaven itself, came into this world to be reconciled with us. He has come to us. And so we can then go to him and know that we have forgiveness of sins. Conflict with our brother and sister is serious. We can destroy ourselves, we can destroy them. But it's also serious because of our relationship with God has been torn as well. But the gospel is that if we come in faith to God, we can have reconciliation with him. And so then we should accept that offer that he has made of forgiveness of sins. So what do you do when you're in conflict with someone? When you recognise that you're not unified with people as you should be? Don't delay. Go confess your wrong, point out their wrong in the situation, and then forgive. And then once you have done that, come to God in repentance, asking for forgiveness through the work of Jesus Christ. Let's come to our God in prayer now. Let's pray to Him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the teachings of our Lord. We thank you that He did come into this world. We thank you for what he taught while he was here, that we can apply to our lives today. Lord, we pray that we would do so. We pray that when we have a problem with someone, we would go to them. We would resolve things biblically. But Lord, we thank you that Jesus didn't just come into this world to teach us how to resolve things with one another, but he came to die in our place so that we could have forgiveness for our conflict with our brothers and our conflict with you. Lord, we pray that we would accept the forgiveness you offer through Jesus Christ. If anyone is here today and they have not embraced Jesus Christ's forgiveness for all the wrong that they have done, we pray that you would stir their heart even now to consider the dangers that they're in. And Lord, we pray that they would know forgiveness of sins by repentance and faith today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.